You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. Get into this text. I want to read to you something out of Ephesians that I think just touched on uh, what Emma just said here. It's a pretty familiar passage out of Ephesians chapter 2, where we are reminded it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, Uh, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. And, And I think that text makes it very clear that works don't save us. You know, there, there's not anything I can do or you could do that's going to impress God enough to, to wash away all of our sins and our brokenness and our rebellion against him. Uh, and, uh, it, and it's only by the work that Jesus Christ has accomplished on the cross that we are saved, that we can be restored in a relationship to him. But that doesn't mean that works aren't important, um, that though works don't save us, we were actually saved for good works, works that God had set forth before he even created the universe and and that we should walk in them and I think that's that's what Emma's doing she's walking into a, a good work because of the work that Jesus Christ has done in her heart and she kind of hinted toward towards the idea that you might share your testimony sometime and I'm anxious to hear that so we'll hear more about that good work uh, that Christ has done so, with that idea in mind, uh, that word, you are his workmanship, okay, the Greek word for workmanship is where we get the English word poem. Okay? So, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we are all individually a poem that God has written, a work of art. We might say. So I want you to keep that idea in mind that work, workmanship, has something to do with art. Okay? Now I'm no Bob Ross. (laughs) Right? The only connection I had to Bob Ross is I'm basically a happy little accident. (laughs) Uh, I've I've tried to do what Bob Ross has done, and you know, I can barely get a stick figure, uh, you know, done properly. But that doesn't mean that I'm not an artist just because I don't paint like Bob Ross paints. I can paint a wall, okay, <laughs> but I can't paint a landscape or, 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 or that sort of thing. And, and, and I think that all of us not only are poems of, of work of God, but that we are also reflections of God created in his image, restored to that image by Jesus Christ, uh, and, and that God is the original artist, and we are all artists after him. So I want you to get in your head today that in some way you are an artist. It may, you, you may not be able to paint landscapes, but maybe you can build something with wood. And, and that is a work of art. And I want you to understand that every single one of us has reflections of God, the creator, that we are creators after him, and that in some way we exist to create a work of art. And that is really the work of the church. Uh, There's a work of art 
that we are to do together. So that's kind of the idea that I have in mind. I want to read, uh, whoops, still in Ephesians. I want to read from 2 Timothy now, the passage that we're going to be looking at today. It's chapter 4. And it's the first uh, eight verses of this chapter. Uh, We're getting to the conclusion of Paul's letter to Timothy. It's a letter that we've been kind of looking at. uh, What does discipleship look like? And we see Paul as a mentor. We see Timothy as one who was discipled by Paul and in turn was to disciple others. Uh, And we are all part of that great chain that happens here. So I think we're going to get a really interesting picture in Paul's conclusion here. Of, of what discipleship looks like. So here's what he says to Timothy, which echoes all the way down through the ages uh, to us today. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you for recording these things that your Holy Spirit breathed into men so that they would endure, these words would endure beyond the ages. And that these would be words that not only just kind of land on our brains and our minds that we think about, but they would go deeper than that and they would penetrate into our hearts and uh, into our, our souls. Lord, we're told that your word is a, is a double-edged sword, a living and sharp sword, and it's able to penetrate to the very intentions of our heart, able even to divide soul and spirit. Lord, I don't know how to divide those two words, but your word can do it. So we pray, God, that we would um, experience your spirit today, taking the words that you breathed into Paul to write to Timothy and that you would breathe these words into us and that by your spirit we would get understanding, Lord, but not just understanding to say, hey, we know something about the Bible, but understanding that leads to wisdom, uh, wisdom that leads to action, uh, that we would um, be inspired by your inspired word to work, uh, to, to, to be involved in the things that you have prepared for us, the things that you have saved us for. So, Lord, help us to see that. Help us to be creative. Help us to hear your voice. Help us to replicate what you did in Emma. 
to have our hearts stirred in such a way that um, we, we, we just have a passion to go out and to serve you and to, to reach the souls of others for the sake of Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. So, um, George McDonald. Have you ever heard of George McDonald? He is not the inventor of the McDonald's uh, restaurant chain. Uh, George McDonald is a poet, author. Um, in my book, he's a stud because uh, both C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien were uh, very influenced by George McDonald. He said this. He said, a poet is someone who is glad of something and tries to make other people glad of it too. And I put that in the bulletin so you would see that quote there. Um, so I want you to do something for me today. Tell me something that you are glad of and make me glad of it. Okay? Maybe you're a cat lover. I dare you <laughs> to turn me into a cat lover. <laughs> something like, but what is something that you're that that you are glad of? Who who would like to get us started off today? Something that you're glad of, and, and tell tell us a little bit about that. Yes, Matt. Well, I have this dog, and I won't do cats, but I have a dog named Patty, okay. and she is a big fluff ball, and she doesn't bark, and she rarely has accidents and she doesn't bite people and she only jumps on you if you're like really excited so she's like a really good girl so okay all right so you're, you're glad of your dog pat yes okay cat will be so happy to say that you were brought up the dog instead of her no <laughs> so now i want to meet patty because i don't think i ever have really i know of patty but but i've never met pat and, and now I want to be able to do that, okay? Somebody else. Uh, yeah, Joey. Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A sauce. Okay, the sauce. That's where the magic is. That's where the magic is. I don't know the recipe. I don't know what it is. But it is so delicious. Yeah, so. And if you like fried chicken, then you will love Chick-fil-A with Chick-fil-A sauce. All right, yeah, Rapid City desperately needs a Chick-fil-A. Yeah, because, yeah, anytime I go on a road trip, I'm, I'm, I got my eyes peeled for a Chick-fil-A. So, yeah, glad of that. That uh, Other people want to try it, too. Okay. Anybody else? Uh, oh, yeah, way over there, Destry. Um, I'm glad for a son that has a crazy imagination and makes up for the things that he If you visit the Fagerlands, you get to experience some. Is that Remy? That's going on? Josiah's going on? Oh, okay. All right. Well, you were swirling around over there, so I kind of thought your mom was embarrassing you or something there. Anyway, yeah, to experience some of Josiah's handiwork there. Handiwork. See, workmanship. See how I put that in there? Okay. Anybody else? What's something you're glad of? Okay, Steph. On December 23rd, there's no one our wedding anniversary. Okay, and you were glad of that. Yeah. And we should be glad of that too. Yeah, because stuff tells us that every time he's here, he makes sure we know that, and and we should be rejoicing in that because 69 years is pretty, pretty amazing. Okay, uh, maybe time for one more. 
One more. Yeah, Mary. How's that for my mechanic? <laughs> <laughs> this is my car. He washes it for my Valentine's Day gift okay. and stuff, so I'm, I'm happy for him. Okay, so you're saying that if my car has some problems, that Carrie's probably a good guy. guy to talk this to. This is the guy. This is the guy. And I've heard that from my father-in-law as well. So anybody who's had Carrie work on your car. Okay. So I, I want you to realize what just happened there. That every single person that shared something, and I think we all could, hopefully we could all share something that we're glad of, that when you were telling me about that, you were doing the work of an evangelist, which is exactly what Paul told Timothy to do. Do the work of an evangelist. I know often when we see that word evangelist, we think, well, I'm not gifted for that. I don't, you know, but actually, that's what, that's what an evangelist does. And even if we're not gifted to be able to do that sort of thing, like I, I have a friend that could walk into a room and, you know, belch and people will come to Jesus. Uh, he's, he's obviously gifted. Um, that, that doesn't rule us out from doing the work. Okay, and I'm going I'm to use that word work as art. To actually be involved in the art of the evangelist. Because we are all poems written by God in a way made to make other people glad. And if we know who Jesus Christ is, then it should just be natural for us to want other people to experience what we have experienced uh, in Jesus Christ. Okay, so going back to this text, in verse 1, well, verses 1 and 2, Paul is giving his disciple Timothy, his student, an earnest commission. When he says, I charge you solemnly, this is an earnest commission. This means Paul says, I really, really, really want you to hear this, Timothy, and to act upon that. And and he's, he's basically saying, Timothy, get the word out. When he says, preach the word, um, I think it's really natural for us to think that what he wanted Timothy to do was to stand in a pulpit and open up a Bible and preach. But in, in, in reality, what he's saying, it doesn't have anything to do with a pulpit, necessarily. But it's all about getting the word out. Helping other people to hear about Jesus Christ, to experience Jesus Christ, to see Jesus Christ, to know Jesus Christ. And, and that isn't limited just to one person or one individual. It's really the charge that's given to every single one of us. Jesus gave us that charge. Get the word out. Do whatever it takes to express the logos. And, and that's the, the word that's used there in the Greek. And if you read John 1, you know that's how Jesus is introduced to us in John, the Gospel of John, verses 1 through 4. In the beginning was the logos, and the logos was with God, and the logos was God. God. Um, and, and that's what we're supposed to do, is to, is to get people to know that. Um, as we move into chapter or verses 3 and 4, um, we see that this solemn charge is crucial to all believers. It's crucial for us to be carrying out this, this commission, because God's adversary has been busy through all the days of history. He's been working hard to distract people from knowing who Jesus Christ is. And we know that as the days go on, Matt already touched on that, about in the last days, difficult times will come, because people don't want to hear about it anymore. 
Yeah, people are becoming more and more selfish. People are becoming more and more distracted. And, uh, and that's, that's the adversary working hard so that people will be blinded to the glory of Jesus Christ. So if he's working hard, then it's very important for the church to be getting the word out, to be countering that. There's always going to be this, this conflicting message that, that is out there in the world. And if we sit back and do nothing, then the devil's going to be gaining numbers. But if we just step up and, and get in his way, which we can't do in our own power, but we can do through the Holy Spirit, then we can win people into God's kingdom. And that's what God's waiting for. You know, I found it interesting. I never noticed this before. As I was reading chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, I noticed that Paul bookended that passage. Did you see that? In verse 1, he talks about Christ's appearing. In verse 8, he returns to Christ's appearing. So I'm getting this idea that what Paul's expressing here to Timothy is that during this time, do everything you can before Christ comes back to get the word out. And we're reminded in 2 Peter that God is patient. You know, everybody's going, where's God? When's he coming back? He talked about coming back. How come he's not coming back? And and Peter explains, he says, it's because he's patient towards us. The church, not wanting anyone to perish, but for all to come to the knowledge of truth through Jesus Christ. So he's patiently waiting for us to respond to this commission that Christ gave first and that Paul now is saying, let's go and get her done. Then go to verses 5 and 6. And it's interesting that Paul starts off with you, however... And I think what Paul's expressing to Timothy at at this point is, Timothy, it's your turn. And I think that's something that the church should become better at, the church universal, is to say to the next generation, it is this generation's turn. It's it's time for uh, the previous generation to start to step back and to get out of the way and let the next generation run. Uh, That's why we have this idea of the passing of the torch. Uh, That's really what discipleship is. And in this context of what we're reading in in 2 Timothy, that's obviously what Paul is doing. He's saying, Timothy, I, I cannot carry the torch any longer. My days are running out. It's time for you to take this torch and to, and to carry on. Uh, you, you know, and I think this is the best thing any discipler can say to his or her disciple. You're going to leave me in the dust. And, and, and what we mean by that is you're probably going to run faster and further than I ever did during my relationship with Christ. That the next generation is actually going to have the advantage and capacity to do even more than they ever saw in the generations before them. And I believe that. And, and that's why I'm so excited to see all, all these School of Mind students here. Because it's your turn. Okay, It's your turn. Uh, God's going to unleash you on this world. And when he does, it's with this message, get the word out. And then he says, I think it's in verse 6 there, um, or no, verse 5, uh, he says, be sober-minded, um, endure suffering, and that's part of following Christ. Uh, do the work of an evangelist. We just talked about that. You don't have to necessarily have the gift. You just have to 
follow God's leading in that. And then it says, fulfill your ministry. <laughs> fulfill your ministry. Uh, and, and, and that's where I think we get tripped up because, again, we misunderstand the word ministry. We think that ministry is just something that's done by people that get paid to do it, um, and, 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 and it's something that's done to us. Okay, When in reality, ministry is something that we're all supposed to be participating in as Christians. And so this is what I want you to hear today. Each and every one of you as a follower of Jesus Christ has a ministry. You don't watch other people do ministry. You have a ministry. Emma has a ministry. Hot Dog Ted <laughs> has a ministry. Yeah. Uh, and it's not necessarily what our, what our job or our vocation might be, but sometimes our job or our vocation might be leading us into our ministry. Uh, my wife sees how many patients a day on average? Fifty, fifty to sixty. We'll, we'll give it a range. Fifty to sixty patients every day uh, encounter my wife. That's her job. But maybe, just possibly, her ministry might be to one little old lady that just needs to know that she matters, to know that that, that someone cares for her, that she's not alone in in the world. And you know what? She might be the crankiest, nastiest old lady that steps into the clinic that day. The one that's hard to deal with. And and maybe it's just because she just needs to know there's somebody out there that cares about her. And and that's that's where ministry comes into play here. So I wanna I wanna break down that word ministry. Um, Paul says to Timothy in the Greek to fulfill your diakonia. It's where we get the word deacon. Okay, um, we often think of deacons by going back to Acts chapter six, and the early church had just started there, and there's lots of confusion and lots of moving parts and everything. And there was these uh, these Grecian Jews, Alexandrian Jews, who felt like they were getting snubbed because their widows weren't receiving portions of the food that was being dispersed in the church at that time. Okay, again, that practical meeting a practical need. Um, and, and so they, they kind of, you know, I would, they rose a little bit of a stink about it. So the elders said, wow, what are we going to do about this? Because um, their, their ministry was in, the, in prayer and the study and the, the teaching of God's word and everything. And they knew that they couldn't be um, distracted from doing that. So uh, God said, raise up men who are full of the Holy Spirit and appoint them to take care of that. And, and that they were, it was called the diaconates that they were supposed to do. So that then, now we call them deacons. And we, we tend to limit the church to an office, to a few people who we call deacons. And sometimes the church is confused and we, we don't know if they're elders, we don't know if they're deacons or that sort of thing. When in reality, the whole idea was is that anybody who's full of the Holy Spirit, which is anybody who believes in Jesus Christ, has a work that we're supposed to go and do. Okay, so that other people are able to do the work they're, they're called to do, that, they, that they're meant to do. So each and every one of you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, not only are you a poem, and not only are you to somehow, in a sense, make a poem, um, you have a diakonia. You have a work that God has appointed for you to walk in. You have a work that God died so that you could walk into it. 
And so I'm going to change this word diakoneia into something other than ministry or work and say you have an art that God wants you to complete. That in some way God has made you to be an artist and he's saying, okay, go to it. (laughs) Get it done. And I'm actually pretty excited about this. I can remember being a teenager and you know, I'd go out and work with my dad, and uh, usually that meant standing with a shovel while he dug with a backhoe, and I'd have to guide him as he was digging and things. Sometimes I'd have to jump into the trench and loosen some rocks and other things or get some trash we might have found as we were digging out of the way so that he could complete the water line that he's making there. And, uh, and, and, and as a teenager, it was really easy for me to think, well, I guess this is it. This is it. This is my life here in Podunk, Rapid City, South Dakota. No, that I'm just gonna be shoveling or something like that uh, all my days, kind of thing. And and then I started reading books, which is weird because I was not a reader, but I had a teacher that just kept nagging me until I started reading, just to get him off my back. And then I started finding out I, I really loved like the fantasy genre and science fiction and things like that. And some might, people might think, what a waste of time reading that stuff. But I don't think it was a waste of time at all. I think that was God's prevenient grace working in me before I became a believer in Jesus Christ. Because as I was reading these books, I wanted to go explore worlds. I wanted to go conquer kingdoms. I wanted to slay dragons. I, you know, all these things were just building up in me. And then I found out that when I became a Christian, that instead of a shovel, God was saying, here's a sword, here's a shield, get to it. Get to it. And, and I think that's what he's saying to all of us. He says, I, I have something for you to do. <laughs> get to it. And, and I think and I believe... Uh, the more I look at this scripture, that this diakonia is an art. Instead of looking at it as a ministry, because I think we limit ourselves when we use that word ministry or, or, or work or something, I think we have to understand God has a, a very creative way for us to be engaged in getting his kingdom out into all this world. And then we get to verses 7 and 8, uh, where Paul says, uh, I'm already, you know, in verse 6, he said, I'm already being poured out, you know, my departure is coming. Uh, he, he says, I, I fought the good fight, I've finished the course, and I've kept the faith. Do you remember very early on in this book that Paul used the, the picture of the soldier and the athlete and the farmer? And he's returning right back to it. You know, he was a good soldier. He, he kept to the work that he was called to do. He, he was an athlete. He competed according to the rules. And he ran to win, kind of thing. And, and the farmer has to operate by complete faith all the time because they're not in control of the weather. And once they put that seed in the ground, well, let's see what the weather does now and what kind of harvest we get out of this sort of thing. And, and, and that's what Paul was talking about there when he said, I was keeping that faith. I was, I was trusting God. I was doing my best but I trust God to take care of all the rest. So when I read that, this is, this is what I see in here, is that Paul did it. He did it. He left behind for us an example of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and if you think about Paul's early days, you would think if anybody was disqualified from serving the kingdom of Jesus Christ, it would be a guy like Saul of Tarsus. If you know his history, this guy wanted to end the church. But yet God was able to win him to himself and say, no, I want you to build the church. 
and He did it. And so I think this is what each and every one of us need as a disciple of Christ. We need to find someone who's doing it. We, we need to find someone who's setting an example for us, who's, who's being that artist, fulfilling their diakonia, so that we know what that looks like. And then we know what we're supposed to do, that somebody else can watch us do it too, so that they can start doing it. Now, I've got to be careful here because I think it'd be very easy for Timothy to think, well, I've got to be Paul. I've got to go do what Paul just did. And I don't think that's what Paul was saying at all. I think Paul was saying, be Timothy. You know, I can't be a Bob Ross. I can only do stick figures. Okay? So I'm going to have to figure out, how do I do it? I may not do it exactly the way Bob Ross does it, but how do I do it? And so that causes us to pursue God and say, God, how did you wire me? How did you make me to, to go to work here? So I think here's another misunderstanding we often have is, is, is that of the word calling. Do you know what your calling is? Do you have a calling? Well, let me say this. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, yes, you do. You have a calling. And guess what? It's not to the ministry. It's not to the pulpit. It's not to some foreign field to work as a missionary or to stand on street corners. Your calling is to God's heart. See, that's where I think we mess it up. We try to make it specific, and it looks like some kind of work that has already been done before. When in reality, every single one of us have the same calling, and that is to God's heart. And when we respond to God calling us to his heart, the inevitable course is going to be that we are going to be called to his passion. And what is God's passion? But to get his name known to lost people. And then we're going to be called to God's mission. And what is God's mission? Is to go wherever they are and to get the word out. That's it. There's a thousand, hundred, million, zillion ways that that can be manifested. You know, and, and, and we're not going to limit it to just this or that. It can be done in so many different ways. Because that's who God is. He's creative. And, and, and He has so many different ways for us to step into and actually fulfill that calling. So, we're often told in the Christian Missionary Alliance that we are an Acts 1-8 family. As a church, Right? Correct? Okay. Uh, if you haven't heard that before, you just heard it now. Watch the videos. That often shows up in the videos that, that we show. We are an Acts 1-8 family. And what that means, if you go back to Acts 1-8, Jesus Christ said, you are my witnesses. You will receive power on high from the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses to all this world. And that's, that's what we mean when we say we're an Acts 1-8 family, that we're all together in this. Um, being witnesses. Here's another interesting thing. We often, as Christians, use witness as a verb. <laughs> yeah, got to go out and witness. Yeah, But Jesus uses it as a noun. It's not what we do, it's what we are. So what that just said to us as a Christian is you cannot not witness. Okay, You can be a really lousy witness, but you cannot not witness. All right. So we're all witnesses in one course or another. So I think it behooves us to say, okay, God, how do I do this? And, and how do I do it well? How do I represent Christ as a, as a witness? 
Well, I, I think we need to add something else to that. Is not only are we an Acts one eight family as being part of the Christian Missionary Alliance, I think we should also say that we are an Ephesians four eleven church. Now, what's an Ephesians four eleven church? Well, let me read that to you. It was Jesus who gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, and some as teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That is to build up the body of Christ. And that idea of building up means to promote another person in their walk of faith with Jesus Christ. That begins with evangelism and carries on through discipleship. Now, did you see what that just said there? It did not say, and God called one man to be a pastor of a body of people to do all the work of ministry. But he called several gifted in different areas. Because guess what? There's not a one of us that can be a prophet, evangelist, teacher, shepherd, apostle. Verse 5. <laughs> there's not one of us that are equipped to be all those things. It's meant to be a team. And, and, and what that team is supposed to do is to equip all of us to go out and to promote other people's walk of faith in Jesus Christ. That is the art that we're all called to accomplish. And we're we're called to do that together. Isn't that a beautiful picture of of teamwork and and, and, and a mission being accomplished? And isn't it nice to know it doesn't all fall on your shoulders and it's all up to you, but it's up to all of us together? And that's part of what we can do as a church is to encourage each other in that work, to spur one another on towards love and good deeds as we're told in Hebrews. That's, That's what we're supposed to be about here today. And I hope that's what happens. That Today you get spurred on, encouraged, to go out and, to, and, and love and good deeds. And, and part of that good deeds, again, goes back to that diakonia, that, that ministry which is really an art that you and I are supposed to be accomplishing. So George MacDonald, who I quoted earlier, I just want to share a couple things from him, and then we're going to be done. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote this book, and in, and in this book, he references something that George MacDonald said. I want to just read this. It's kind of a lengthy quote, so I just want to read this to you. And it says, As the fir tree lifts itself up with a far different need from the need of a palm tree, so does each man stand before God and lift up a different humanity to the common Father. So you get this picture of different trees, right? Palm tree, fir tree, they're totally different trees. And that's the way God made us as human beings. In, in humanity, we're, this, we're, we're very uncommon, even though we call ourselves common ground. But our, our commonness is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. That's, that's, that's where we stand together. Okay, And he says, for each God has a different response. With every man, he has a secret. The secret of a new name. Did you know that? You have a new name that's written down for you in heaven and no one knows that but Jesus and someday you're going to learn what your new name is and man, I hope it's not Oscar. <laughs> yeah. But whatever it is, you know, that's, that's really what my identity is and Jesus longs for us to know what our identity is to get to that point. So with every man he has a secret, the secret of a new name. In every man there is a loneliness, an inner chamber of peculiar life into which God only can enter. A chamber into which no brother, nay, no sister can come. So for each and every one of us, there's a meeting place for our soul 
and God. And it's reserved only for God to enter into that, that place, that chamber. From this it follows that there is a chamber also, and he says, Oh God, humble and accept my speech, a chamber in God himself into which none can enter but the one, the individual, the peculiar man or woman, and out of which chamber that man has to bring revelation and strength for his brethren. So what McDonald was saying there is that in each and every one of us, there's kind of this secret meeting place between us and God. Something that God has peculiarly and strangely and uniquely for each one of us, but not just for our own benefit, but to take out for the benefit of our fellow human beings, the rest of humanity. This is that for which he was made, to reveal the secret things of the Father. Get the word out. So that's why I, I, I would like to say that each and every one of us have a peculiar art that God has designed us for, a place in which he meets us and we meet him. And in that meeting, he bestows something upon us, which we're then to say, okay, God, I'm taking this out into the world. And I'm taking this out for the benefit of other human beings. And we just saw an example of what that looks like in Emma. Five years ago, there was this meeting in a secret chamber. And God gave something to Emma. And, she's, and, she's, and, and you shared with me, this. you've just shared just a small little portion of this big secret that God has given to you. And there's more to come. And it's huge and it's amazing. And I couldn't imagine me doing it. Because it's Emma's art that he's given for her to accomplish. And I'm just here to say, how can I help you? How can I encourage you? By the way, uh, it's a very practical thing based on what you just shared. Uh, my wife and I, we're getting ready to move out of our house, so that means, you know, downsizing, you know, which I'd rather just light it on fire. <laughs> Start from scratch. Seems like a lot less work. So you know we have you know we're filling these boxes. You know we have this is what we're going to keep. This is what we're going to throw away, and this is what we're going to give away. And uh, we went through our closets, and man, you had to beat the dust out. What is this? I didn't even know I had these clothes in here. You know, and uh, and so we asked Emma, Emma, we have all these clothes. Is that something you would take? And she said, Yeah, yeah, by all means. So you can go to Pure Bean, there's a bin up there in Pure Bean, or just come here on Sunday, go home, clean out your closets, come on, you don't need all that stuff. Clean out your closets and bring it here, and then we'll get it to you. That sound good? Okay, all right, I'll have to find a Rubbermaid bin now. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> all right, sorry, rabbit trail. Um, darn rabbits. So, anyway, that's her art. You have an art too. Uh, it's not just up to Emma. It's not just up to Hot Dog Ted. You know, it's not just up to Brian to go to France and to, to do whatever. It's it's not up to just me or Matt or or that kind of thing. It's up to all of us to to, to meet with God and then to run with what He has given to us and get the word out. Now, here's a here's a, a German word. I'm I'm not going to say it right at all. Zainzuk, Zainzuk, something like that. Zainzuk. Um, C.S. Lewis used it a lot, and that word is just basically an inconsolable longing. And this is something else that I believe, that God has placed in us an inconsolable longing. Uh, 
And, and it's a longing that can only be satisfied by Him. It's not consolable until we meet with Him. And I think that happens through salvation. But I think He also puts in us an inconsolable longing to do something. To go out and get something done in His name. And again, that's inconsolable until it's meant in Jesus Christ. So I think that in some way, each and every one of us, even if we don't realize it, God has put into our heart this thing that almost makes us weep. Has that ever happened to you where you, you can't explain it, but you, you just weep for something? That's probably God saying, here's where I want your art to be. This is your canvas. Or this is your clay that I want you to form. Now, here's your raw materials that I want you to build something out for the glory of my kingdom. I still remember the, the day I came to Jesus Christ. I was with a bunch of teenagers. And I did not like teenagers. Okay? Because I didn't like being a teenager. You know? So I kind of transferred that dislike over to these poor people. And, and I remember that as I was responding to Christ, there was probably about 20 or so teenagers surrounding me that were doing the same thing. And I thought to myself, yeah, good for them. You know, I was only about 22 at the time. I was about six years ahead of most of them. But I thought, if they come to Christ now, maybe hopefully by His grace, they'll avoid a lot of the stuff I just walked through. So good on them. And I remember even as I was thinking that, that God was beginning to, as He was calling him, me to Himself, that He was beginning to put the same soup into me for teenagers. And I didn't even like them. But suddenly God was whipping up in me something I never had before, and that was a love for them. And, and, and I had no idea where that was going to end up taking me. But, but that, that, that inconsolable longing that made me pursue God even deeper, or more deeply, took me into a ministry with youth, which is taking me 35 years down the road. I would have never envisioned that would have meant me going to Kiev or Albania, or other places in the world, let alone to end up here in this basement in front of all you weirdos. <laughs> what a bunch of misfits we are, you know? But we're God's misfits, and I'm glad I'm His misfit. And then He's brought us together here. But, but that's, what, that's what God does in each and every one of us. So... Let me bring it down to this. Your ministry, because Paul says, fulfill your ministry. Your ministry is the art that God has given you to touch this world. And according to another author I really like, Walter Winnegan, he says, it is an art until it's experienced by another. So a poet is a person who's made glad of something and wants everybody else to be glad of it too. So the most practical aspect, I guess, out of all of this is to say, God, you've called me to yourself. You've called me to your heart, your passion, your mission. Now meet me in that secret place and refine in me how you want me to do that. There are so many different ways. Like I said, so many manifestations of how this could come out. You know, for some people, maybe it's like, well, I really feel like I need to go down to the mission and I need to slap some mashed potatoes on a tray. And as I do that, to engage some of the, some of the hungry homeless people in our town. Fantastic. 
But don't expect everybody else to join you. Okay? Um, maybe it's like Mary, you and I, we've talked. Mary goes to bars. No, don't let that shock anybody. Okay? It's not like she's a closet alcoholic or something like that. And what do you do while you're there? I visit with people. She visits with people. Why do we think that everybody that's sitting at a bar stool drowning their sorrows over the brokenness of life is just going to wander in here on a Sunday when we're supposed to get the word out? And I just I just get so excited when I hear things like Mary saying, well, that's what I do. I go and I talk to them. I visit with them. I let them know that somebody's listening, that somebody cares, that somebody loves them. They can be perfect strangers. And she'll ask them, is it okay if I pray with you? And they'll actually say, oh, I don't know what that looks like, but okay. (laughs) And and an amazing thing happens. And heaven touches earth and art happens. Because that that was her saint suit. That's what God, I guess, made you weep for. And and, and so I'm going to encourage all of us to do that exact same thing. Emma did it when she thought of homeless people. And her job, your work, is something that has catapulted you towards that. So please understand that your work means something to God. That there's not some kind of sacred work and then there's secular work. There's just sacred work. And no matter where, we need garbage men who are out there doing art for God. If that's what God has brought them to. And, and, and it's amazing that how He can give us ample opportunity to do that. So please understand that when Monday through Friday, that somehow you have to flip off a switch from Sunday and then flip it back on when the weekend comes or something. But that what you do throughout this whole week is a place where you can touch the canvas and you can get the word out. There's no limitations to what God can do through a man or woman wholly committed to Him. I think D.L. Moody once said that the world is yet to see what God can do through one person wholly committed to Him. And there's just so much opportunity. There's so much blank canvas. There's so much unformed clay. So many raw materials out there where God's just saying, here's your sword, here's your shield, get to it. Get to it. So let me close with this. Nikola Tesla. He's a fascinating guy. And there's, there's, uh, it's almost legend that he came up with this black box because he believed that every single object had a resonant frequency. And he said that if he attached this instrument to that, he could not only read its resonancy, but he could also manipulate it so that it would increase. And, and I guess, I don't know if this actually happened, if it's been verified or not, that he hooked this thing up to a skyscraper that was under construction and, and, and that the I-beams began to shake and rattle and sway so much that they feared that he was going to cause the whole thing to collapse. And, and when they were talking to him about that, he says, give me enough time and I'll break the world in two. Isn't that a great statement? Give me enough time and I'll break the world in two. I think what God wants to do is break hearts in two so that Jesus can get in. He wants to break down that hardness, that stoniness, and change it into a brand new heart 
And man, the world is small potatoes next to a heart. But I think that's what he's called us to. Break hearts in two so that Jesus can get in. Let's pray. Lord, as we stand before you here today, we realize that we are not just mere people. We're not just a mere bunch of misfits that you have gathered together. Um, Yeah, we are a bunch of weirdos, but we're your weirdos. And, And you haven't just called us to sit and to observe, but to actually participate in the work that you are doing. Um, that's what discipleship has looked like since Christ came to a bunch of fishermen and told them to drop their nets and to come and follow him and to be fishers of men. And Lord, your mission has never changed. Your heart for lost souls has not diminished. The passion that you had to win us to your kingdom is the same passion that you have to win others. And just as you sent others to us that we might hear the word, you call us to go and do the same. So God, I ask you to do this. Would you meet us in that secret place? Would you reveal yourself to us and help us to see the uniqueness that you fashioned in us when you made us and how we can reflect your image through that uniqueness? God, may we go out and be your workmanship, be your poems to this world, carrying the name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, may we write poems in Christ's name that others would hear, others would see, others would experience the love of Jesus, and they themselves enter into your kingdom Lord we pray this and we we pray that you will empower us to do this through your spirit and find us faithful until the day of Christ's appearing we pray in Jesus name Amen Thank you for listening we hope you have been blessed Please join us again at Common Ground Church.